0: The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Carigma Ventures. More information is available at www.carigmaventures.com. Well, Glory. Hey, it's Dudley. Good to be back with you again this month. Uh, exciting thing to share with you this month. The uh, Hey, we're doing something new this year. I want to tell you about it right, real quickly. We're doing a seminar out at the ranch a weekend on, we're calling it Retold the power of storytelling and it's going to be exciting because first of all, we're going to have some great storytellers there. Secondly, you're going to learn how to tell your story, not just your big story, but any story so that it's dynamic. We'll learn from each other. We'll have some uh, interaction stuff there, but if you don't understand the power of story, then you don't understand marketing and you don't understand communication. It's June 22nd, 23rd. We start Friday afternoon, late and go through dinner on Saturday. And so you can go online and register and you need to do that. Uh, It'll be fun. It's for men and women, as long as we've got quarters for everybody. So uh, you might want to sign up early. The other thing that's coming up is Leadership Expedition in July. We are still, we still have some room for some young men. This is our training program for young men in leadership, ages 16 to 25. And this is kind of an intense program. Uh, And when you come out of that, you'll be different. So uh, if you know some young man that is, uh, would qualify for that, he wants to be a leader in his field, whatever that is, then recommend him go online, you'll see a recommendation page. You can recommend him. Then we'll invite him to fill out an application. Then we'll interview him and then he can become a part of it. There is a there's a video online of Leadership Expedition or you can go to leadershipexpedition.org and see this video of what really happens there. So watch it yourself and get your young man to watch it and see if they'd be interested. I promise you, It'll be one of the great investments you've ever made to encourage a man to do that. And we got other stuff coming up: the uh, Treasure Hunt Weekend, which is the women's retreat, comes up in September. The Beyond Happiness Marriage Conference comes up in October. Go online and look at all of those, and you'll find out all that's happening and how you how you get signed up for them. But you need to participate in those things. And I want you to just say a word to those of you who uh, who recognize that your, you recognize your significance in participating with us financially in what we do. I can, I was thinking this past week, I remember the time where, when you got the little blue cassette tape, you know, you sent in your $4 or whatever, and that was was a long time ago. And and we've been giving them away, uh, no cost to, to people for a good long time. So we depend upon people like you who recognize that to get all this done does require partnership financially. So if you haven't been able to give lately and you can, we would appreciate your giving to us and helping us to get this word out. Thank you for giving what you've already given and for what you shall give. Okay. Oh, I know what I was going to tell you. What else I was going to tell you? The, this little book called Follow Me, I, I wrote it to uh, help you in not only your own study of the scripture about who you are and, and what you have in Christ and what the gospel means to you, but it's written in such a way that you can help somebody else do it. So if you don't have this, you, you probably ought to get it, read through it, do it yourself, and then order several. And let me tell you a great way to use it, uh, whether it's with your family or a child or neighbor or whatever, Just say, you know, would you be willing to meet with me for coffee for a period of time and let's go through some stuff together. And it really is a a easy guide into what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Just go follow me. Jesus said to disciples, follow me. So how do we follow him today? Since he's not on the earth physically, how do we follow Jesus? So this little book will help you. So I recommend it to you highly. Okay. Now, we get down to what we want to talk about this, this month. The, the text that I want to use is found in uh, Acts, the book of Acts chapter four. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn there with me. So let me set it up for you. so are going have to read a lot of scripture and I can focus on just one or two scriptures. Okay. You know what had happened? The day of Pentecost had come. The Holy Spirit has come. There's, there's all kinds of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. There's a they're speaking in languages that everybody can understand from, uh, it's a supernatural uh, communication going on. There's sound of a rushing mighty wind, which is the presence of God. There's the fire sitting on each one, one's head. So these manifestations are happening and Peter gets up and tells them that this is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel and that this is the day of the, the day of the Lord, and th- that it has been inaugurated. The kingdom has come. Okay, so they they are radically changed by all this whole thing, and they start living life in light of the great event of Jesus coming, being resurrected, ascended, sent in the Holy Spirit. So they. Uh, They're going down to Solomon's portico every day and the apostles are telling them what they learned from Jesus when they were on the earth with him. So this community has developed and they're dynamic, they're passionate, they're they're not afraid of anything. And so one day, Peter and John are walking uh, into that area and they go by the gate to the temple. There's a man there who's begging, been doing that for a long time. And in the name of Jesus, they speak to him and he is made whole. So a guy who couldn't walk is now walking. He's praising God, he's jumping all over the place and it causes a big uproar. First of all, it causes great uh, excitement among the disciples because it proves that Jesus now really is ascended and that he is the Lord and that he does have power to rule on the earth through them and that in his name, they can uh, use his authority. And, and so they're pretty excited about that whole deal. But it caused an uproar amongst the religious leaders because now these guys have got access to a power that's beyond them. And so it's threatening. So we got a conflict here. So the council calls them in and says, you got to quit this. You have got to quit this preaching in Jesus name. I mean, y'all do what you need to do, uh, but... Uh, that you can't preach in Jesus' name anymore because that's causing a problem. And so that, that's where we come up to the text today. And so let, let me read, this is Acts four eighteen. So they call them and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So so Peter and John's response is, hey, you you have to do what you have got to do, but we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard that means they had seen and heard something. And what they had seen and heard was so compelling that they couldn't stop it. And so what what we're being introduced to here is a kind of life that operates out of a compelling internal motivation, not an external pressure or obligation or a fear of failure or a fear of curse if you don't, So the emphasis here was not so much on, I've got to be obedient, or I've got to do this to please God. It was something has happened and we cannot stop talking about it. And we can't stop. We can't stop the community that's developing around it. We can't stop what's happening. Uh, It's more important than life to us. You, You do what you need to do. They're saying to the council, put us in jail if you have to, kill us if you have to, you do whatever you need to do. But there's one thing for sure, we have seen and heard some things that compel us to speak and to act. And so my question today, and the question we should ask is, what had they seen and heard? And the second question is, can we live like that? Am I to live as a compelled person or am I to live as a duty-bound person and I am still trying to uh, achieve God's acceptance, God's forgiveness, God's love, God's pleasure? Uh, am I compelled or am I constrained? Am I constrained by my fears, constrained by my legalism, or am I compelled by something that is beyond uh, the visible? So that that's the question I want us to answer today. And why is it, you know, along with that question, why is it that so so many of us are willing to settle for relief from the threat of hell, are you know, assured that we'll go to heaven when we die, or just we're thrilled to, to, to just not be tormented, but, but we, we, we seem unwilling to embrace all that's available to us. So I have seven things, seven observations about these disciples you're tired of me pointing at you with my pencil. Uh, uh, there are seven things that, seven observations about these disciples that I think are appropriate to us. So I want to give them to you. If you're a note taker, get out your pen or your little scribble pad or whatever on your smartphone. Let me give you these seven things. First, we're trying to answer the question now what have they seen and heard and what made them so passionate about it? Number 1 they were radicalized by hearing the shocking announcement that the long awaited kingdom of heaven had arrived in their day since the garden of eden all of humans had looked forward to a day when order would be restored to creation cause you know you know the story when sin came in chaos came in and Men, humans were torn and trapped by sin and confused by all that was going on. And there was something deep in the heart of this created individual, person created in the image of God. There was something in the heart of every human go. I want the restored order back. This became a major theme, major hope of the, of the people of God, of history. And it turned into a whole concept of the kingdom of God being restored. So there became this looking forward to a day when God would fix what happened in the garden of Eden, that he would restore the Edenic garden where man was related properly to God and man was related po- properly to himself and mankind was related properly to his creation there was something inside that was longing for that. So it became a doctrine, it became the hope of the people of Israel because God said, you're my people and I am going to do that. I am, there's going to come a day when my rule, will be restored on the earth and order will be restored and you, you'll get to be a part of it. So it became a part of the whole story, if you will, of redemption, a story of restoration. And, and here's the big shock. These disciples had been told, here's what they'd seen, seen and heard. Of course, they'd seen Jesus and they, uh, they followed him and they'd seen him live and they'd seen him teach and they, uh, they'd seen him die and they'd seen him resurrected. And then they saw him ascend. And now they were seeing the evidence of his ascension in that they could use his name and a man would be healed. That's order being restored. And, and so they were pretty excited. Uh, I mean, wouldn't you be? I mean, if, if for hundreds of years, centuries, people would look forward to the day when the kingdom of God would invade earth and they they've heard it's today, it, you're living in it. And they had seen Jesus and thought, like, that's the king. And, and, and he defeated death. First of all, he defeated sin in his life. He defeated death and the penalty of sin. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the father. He sits in the place of uh, of the destiny of man and he rules. And it's like, that happened in our day? Whoa. And so they had, they were radicalized by the recognition that they lived in the day when all the hopes of all the previous centuries had come to fruition in Christ, and, and so that's a big deal. If you believe that that the kingdom of God has come, then it's like whoa. Well, then 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 everything about my life is different, and I, I now have this name that I can use, and it brings order. And I, I'm no I'm no longer looking forward in the future to his coming and, and setting things straight. I'm looking at the now of what he has already set straight, knowing that there is a future that, that will be an elongation of that and a culmination of that. So so they were radicalized by what they had seen and heard. But they had seen more than just a man walking around teaching and uh, a man dying. Uh, they, had, they had the interpretation from heaven, this is the fulfillment of, of that which you have heard. And see, that, that's what had happened on the day of Pentecost is that Joel said, these are, these events indicate to you that what has been prophesied through all those years has now been fulfilled. So that, that's the second thing I would say. For centuries, the prophets had foretold such a uh, glorious time. And speculation had been rampant among J- Jewish leaders about what that kingdom would look like. And so most everybody put it in terms that they understood a military political kingdom that would be much like Rome, but but, but better, much like Greece before Rome, but better, much like Persia, but better, much like Babylon, but Persia, uh, but better, much like Egypt, but better, But but it would all have these military political aspects, temporal, you know, Jerusalem would be the capital and everything would go out from there. And so when Jesus comes, he reinterprets that that kingdom to them. Those who have humble hearts can hear it. His disciples can hear it. It's like, oh, his kingdom looks a little different, but it's here. And and that was why it took such repentance on the part of the hearers. Are you going to change your mind as to what you perceive the kingdom is like and and buy into what Jesus says it's like? Are you going to hold on to what you think and wait for that to come? And a lot of them did that. In fact, most of the Jews of that day did that. So, so for centuries, they had looked forward to it. And now the, the message is, it's here. So that that's a, that takes a, a, it's a shocking thing to your mind. It's like, whoa, for, for centuries, everybody's looked, it's out there and now it's here. And so what do you do if it's here? It's easier to live if it's out there because I've got models for that because Abraham did it and Moses did it and David did it and all the saints did it. But now we live in a new new era of in this inauguration of this new creation and how do you live now? And so they were trying trying to get a hold of that whole thing. And that's why they were meeting with each other and they were listening to the apostles and So so they were living in the fulfillment of time. It's what Jesus said when he said, the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is here. Thirdly, they had been captured by the resurrected king to spread the aroma of his victory and his kingdom wherever they went. Now I'm taking the language of 2 Corinthians. And so if you're going to follow me here, you're probably going to need to turn there and uh, read that. Here's a metaphor that, that Paul uses to describe the life of these disciples, the life of a normal disciple who has embraced the kingdom of God. So here's what he says, 2 Corinthians two fourteen. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, he's taking this metaphor that happened many times in the Roman empire where a a captain, a colonel, (laughs) the guy in charge of the army would go out and win the battle and he would come back into town with all of his captives behind him. And and in the middle of battle, there's all kinds of blood and gore and all that kind of stuff. So there'd be a stench associated with it. So they, they would come in marching with uh, all of these uh, incense and perfumes and whatever there to to cover up, if you will, some of the stench and to celebrate the fact of their victory. So there was a smell of victory and those who had been captured were brought along and they were sprinkled with all of this so that there was an aroma that went out. And so Paul is using that. He's saying, we... We Christians have been captured by the king of love and we are in his processional and we are marching now led by him with his aroma on us. And his aroma smells good to those who, are, who see the kingdom the way Jesus sees it. It smells really bad to those who wanna hold on to the kingdom as a military political entity and are waiting for a, another Messiah smells bad to them. To one that smells like life, to one that smells like death. And so so what God has said is or or what is obvious in the scripture is, we are we've been captured, but we are now also we have been subscripted and in implanted into his plan and we're now his subjects and now we are partners with him. We should expect some to respond positively and some to respond negatively. And we shouldn't get upset about that. We should know that we emit an odor and that odor is offensive to some and it's uh, attractive to others. So it was obviously offensive to the uh, council here because it meant that they, the council was no longer in charge, that that human authorities no longer held the upper hand, that civil authority was not the final authority, that their threat of death was, had, had no impact on these people. They they lived beyond that. And, and it, it, they didn't get it, that these people were not uh, full of greed trying to get everything because they were willing to give everything away. And, and they loved each other and, uh, and, and they also could, in the name of Jesus, uh, heal people. So th- this was a threatening thing. That's number three. Number four. Now we're not trying to answer the question, what happened to these people? What is it they had seen and heard that compelled them to live such a radicalized life? The fourth thing, the mission, their mission in life had been so elevated, it had been elevated to the highest possible privilege that God had taken them into his mission and said, I am going to do my work on earth through you. God had chosen to do his earthly work through Jesus, the incarnation. Now that Jesus ascended back to heaven, the Holy Spirit has come to live in believers and believers are now to be God's partners on earth. It's just a restoration of things. That's That's how it started off with Adam. God said, You're my partner. Uh, I'm the invisible, ultimate, transcendent God. you are the temporal, physical uh representative on earth, but we work together to subdue the earth. so it's been restored now God's got uh, God's got his little group of atoms, if you will, those in Christ people they are they are uh, part of the new Adam. And so we are on the earth to dispense uh, his kingdom, to ex- exhibit his kingdom wherever we go. In Second Corinthians, you flipped over a couple of pages there, in my Bible, one page. He's talking about what Jesus did on the cross and he became sin for us. In chapter six, he says this, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Get that phrase, working together with him then. He has just previously said that God has made us his ambassadors, that that God has, has been saying to people, be reconciled to me. I have done everything that's necessary. I sent my son to become sin so that you would not have to take the condemnation and the wrath of sin, but he became sin and absorbed the wrath of God so that you could be the righteousness of God. The message is be reconciled to God. So, so how does God say that? He says that through his his people. And so we, he, has, he, he has brought us into the fold and, and made us part of his mission. And so he said, now that's that's our privilege. Now see when you understand that your mission, your calling is to, to represent God wherever you are, then you don't get so bent out of shape trying to find out what is my calling vocation-wise, what what am I called? Am I called to be a scientist, a politician, a preacher, uh, uh you know, whatever, farmer, a teacher. You're called to share the mission of Christ. And that is to restore, well, first of all, it is to declare you can be reconciled to God by faith in Jesus, the one who came in your behalf. And in being reconciled to God, then you are restored to partnership. Now, whatever you do, you do it as partners with God. So wh- whatever you're doing, uh, if you're sitting in your chair, you're, you're, you're saying to God, what are we doing here? What do you want to do here? If you're driving in your car, what are we doing here? What do you want to do here? If you're talking to someone, what, what, why are we meeting here, God? And what, 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 do, you, what do you want in this person's life? Uh, if you're making a decision, it's, God, how are we making this decision together so that after this decision, things will be better than they were before we made this decision if i walk into a room god we're here we want to leave this room better than when we came in we want to leave your we want to leave the smell of life here rather than the smell of death and, and, and so your calling is to is to be on the mission with god that's what compelled paul he said it is my desire to share everything with jesus i want to share the power of his resurrection i want to share the fellowship of his suffering i want to share everything with him because he has left me here to fulfill what he started doing when he was here on the earth. I am now the human representative on the earth. The one who was the human representative is now at the right hand of the father, granting us the authority and the power to get it done, but we are on mission. And so there's, there's no room for feeling insignificant. There's, there's no room for competing. There's there's no room for competing with each other over trying to get closer to God. there's, There's no sense of hopelessness. There's no sense of meaninglessness. How can life be meaning when every decision matters? When every decision I make either makes the world a better place or a worse place, and I have, as partners with God, I can make decisions that he gives the resources to fulfill. He gives the wisdom to know. So he is leading, he is guiding. He is, when I, uh, when I move at his command, he empowers. So it's a big deal that we, that we, li- we live as, uh, as sent ones, as those who've been sent, uh, sent by God to represent God, God, therefore confident that we have the authority of God. Now people who know they're sent by the ultimate authority have no fear of lesser authorities. That's why those disciples had no they, they did not tremble going into that council going, good grief, these people now have the power to cut our heads off. And when the Roman government's big and and, and 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 you just can't fight it and, and it's just bigger than us. It's like no, we're from another kingdom and we have an authority that's over every authority and and, and even if you choose to cut our heads off, you, you can't separate us from the love of God. So they had no fear of lesser authorities. Therefore, they were confident, not confident in their own righteousness apart from Christ, but confident that they were partners with God, having been sent by God. Now, that kind of person is confident in whatever they do. That's uh, what, number four? All right, number five. Okay, here we're answering the question. What had these disciples seen and heard that so emboldened them to speak with confidence and to act with courage and and to be compelled, not, not scared into something, but be compelled by love to do it. So number five, their life had been infused by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that had raised Jesus from the dead they they realized that they had been made new in their inner person, that they were led and empowered by the very spirit of God to not only confront the enemies in their own uh, unglorified body, the deeds of the body and the habits and the patterns of fleshly thinking, they had been empowered to put those to death, but they also had been empowered to, extend the kingdom in their external garden, that is in their relationships with others, in their assignments to uh, subdue the earth. They, 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 they realized they were sharing the very eternal life of God, not the life after death, but the life now, the life that comes after Christ's death for us to live now. So, so they lived with the assurance of no condemnation no accusation from Satan, and no separation from the love of God. Uh, All of that can be found in uh, Romans 8. Romans 8 starts off with, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. These are the ones who walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. For the law of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death, of knowing what you ought to do and not being able to do it and whatever. So he goes through that whole wonderful chapter of Romans eight and he closes it out by saying, okay, we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose for whom he did foreknow he did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. And he goes through this whole thing and he says, so who's going to accuse us, but not God. Who's going to Who's going to indict us? won't be Jesus. Who's going to condemn us? won't be Jesus. Jesus is the one who was condemned for us, so he won't be condemning you. So, so what's going to separate us from the love of God? Is it going to be uh, famine or sword or, or death or hell or demons or angels or anything present in this world or anything from another world? Is anything, can anything separate us from the love of God? Nothing, absolutely nothing. We are more than conquerors through him. It says, who loved us and gave himself for us. So to live in the spirit is to live with the no condemnation, no separation assurance that nothing can condemn me because Jesus has been condemned in my behalf and nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Now, if you got that, if you got that kind of life inside of you, no wonder you're compelled. No wonder you're free from thinking about yourself, how well I'm going to do, how am I going to survive, and you're free to think about others. So you extend the kingdom of God. So you're out there going, be reconciled to God. The God who set things back in order wants to set your life in order. He wants to reconcile you to him. He wants to reconcile you to yourself. He wants to reconcile you to your neighbors, to your family, to whatever. He would like to set things in order for you. That's the message that we carry. We're, we're messengers of reconciliation. So that's the fifth thing. Sixth thing answering the question, what did they see and hear? What got a hold of them that says we're compelled to speak these things and to act in a certain way? Sixth thing, they were marching under the clear orders of the one who had delivered them. In other words, their calling and commission was clear. What Jesus said to them was, okay. I want you to start here in Jerusalem. Then I want you to, so you got a circle around here. And then I want you to move on to Jeru- Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Concentric circles. So, so I want you to start here and, and subdue here. And so start with your own life and then start with those closest to you and then move out and then, then move on to the neighborhood and then move on uh, to other neighborhoods and then move on until the whole world Smells this aroma of life rather than the aroma of death. They they lived knowing that they were going. Jesus said, "I'll be with you into the, the earth." That they were going in the presence of God, and that God was generous, and that they didn't they didn't have to get distracted by trying to get a bunch of the goods of this world in order to make it. They had been sent by Him. He would provide for them, and they they could. Uh, they could fulfill their goal. So it it didn't matter what their talents were, their natural proclivities, the, the, the vocations they worked in didn't really matter because they were more concerned, get this now, they were more concerned with fulfilling their commission than discovering their natural vocation. It's not that the natural vocation is not important. God gave you proclivities, he gave you gifts, he gave you talents, he gave you, he gave you the ability to develop skills. All that's important, but it's only secondarily important. What's most important is you're marching under the orders of one who commissioned you to go represent him. They believe that and they live it that way. Paul made tents. He had the ability to, so he he he, he made and repaired tents. Through that he got some income, so he didn't have to put an extra burden on the people, but. We don't call him Paul, the tent maker. He was Paul, the apostle, Paul, the teacher, Paul, the preacher, Paul, the missionary, Paul, the man rescued by God to go into all the world representing God. Same same with you. You you don't have to be an apostle. You are a sent one. Okay, last, coming to the end. Seventh thing, seventh observation about these disciples uh, that had heard and seen something that had so radicalized their life that they began to radicalize the world. The last thing, they lived in community. You see, they had come in fellowship with the God who is a community God, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, the eternal divine community. They had come into fellowship with that community and because of that, the life that they had, they realized was a community life and so they're replicating that fellowship with the, with God on earth with brothers and sisters in the Lord who are who have different assignments, different giftings, different temperaments, distinct and valuable. And so with respect for each other, they realize they had, they could and had to live interdependently. That is they they lived in the unity of the spirit, but each one of them being gifted differently. So they lived in community and in that living in community, they began to demonstrate to all the people living in the world who also have to live in community, that you can live in community in peace and productivity and flourishing, and that your community can be a blessing to the world rather than a problem to the world. So they lived in community to demonstrate what community in the spirit is all about. So. These are the seven observations that I see. Is there anything in those that we can't embrace today that we cannot today enjoy? Nothing, absolutely nothing. So we can live with the same kind of passion, same kind of zeal, same kind of radicalized perspective of life, same kind of, if you will, wildness, in the sense that we refuse to be constrained by fear and sin and death and and all of its accoutrements. We refuse to be constrained by that because we've been liberated by being captured by the king of love. So living in the kingdom now does not mean that we won't see the kingdom concluded in the future, but we can live in it now. It's not only possible, but it's mandatory if we are to fulfill our calling in this day. And our calling is to live in that kingdom. It is a serious thing to sin against the grace of God. Well, how would you sin against the grace of God? By not taking the grace that he's given. By going back to a previous time and saying, we're, we're living like Old Testament saints, we're waiting for all this stuff to happen. No, no, that's dishonoring what Christ has done. And 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 so we live honoring him by embracing his the finished work of Christ and living out what he has made possible for us, which is a life of abundance, even in the midst of scarcity. So to, to settle for some measure of relief from the threat of hell when you could be enjoying heaven. The kingdom of heaven now is, a, is an awful thing. And it is a, it's a refusal to enjoy the grandeur of the kingdom of God. So I, I want to leave you with this hope, this hope that God has done something in history through Jesus Christ, in Christ, that has radicalized the now as well as the future. And you can live there. And my prayer for you is that you will get in on it today. You will not wait another minute. So I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you that we live on the aft side of the cross, the resurrection and the ascension and Pentecost. We're waiting for the adoption of our bodies when one day we get the resurrected body much like that of Jesus. But in the meantime, We thank you that we get to live in the kingdom of heaven now and we don't have to wait for it to get here for some future day. So we repent, we change our minds and we embrace the nowness of your kingdom. I pray for every person who's hearing that they would hear in their spirit what their ears have heard and that in their spirit, you would cause it to blossom, bloom and bring forth fruit. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I look forward to being with you next time. Until then, this is Dudley Hall with Charisma Ventures. I'll see you next month. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Charisma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerigma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's dot scom